God's people. And we looked at a couple, uh, four or five weeks ago now the book of Acts and the early church that had been <coughs> brought together. The Holy Spirit had been poured out upon them. Many, many were converted to Christ and they started devoting themselves to certain things. And the first in a list of four things that they devoted themselves to were uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine or to the word of God, to the scriptures. And this is a second, the second message uh, that I'm devoting to the idea of being devoted specifically to the word of God. So you might say this is devoted to the word part two. And, uh, you know, I really do have a burden for this. We live in unique times. Some have described the era or the time that we live in as kind of a post-Christian time or certainly a post-Christian society that we find ourselves in. Uh, if you're old enough or if you g- could go back 100 years, uh, largely Christian assumptions were agreed upon by the, the vast majority of people in our nation. And that, of course, has completely eroded. For decades, um, relativism and a whole bunch of other isms have kind of joined forces in a full frontal assault on biblical truth. And certainly, we find ourselves in a post-truth society, and that's where we're at right now. Relativism really is the air we breathe. Increasingly, the idea that truth is objective is rejected. By objective truth, I mean that, that truth is truth, whether you accept it or not, quite frankly, whether you were ever born or not. What is true is true, irregardless or regardless of you and your thoughts about it. Um, and the problem's not, not just out there in the world. Uh, you kind of expect that, right? You kind of expect that to be the problem, that the world rejects the truth. The world lies under the power of the evil one. Uh, John tells us in First John chapter five, and they cert- they reject the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is called the truth. But it's not just a problem in the world. Increasingly, it's a growing problem in the church, and among those who call themselves Christians. In a study conducted by uh, Ligonier Ministries, Ligonier Ministries is a ministry started by R. C. Sproul many decades ago. Uh, there's a study they do every year. It's called the State of Theology. And the, the study stated, among other things, it's, it made this statement. Religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth. And it wanted to poll people to see how many professing Christians agreed with that. That religious belief is about personal opinion and not objective truth. How many evangelical Christians, do you think, agreed with that? 38%. A lot. A lot. That's staggering. A few years ago, a megachurch pastor came out, and I'm not against megachurch pastors. There are some great megachurches and great megachurch pastors. There are some that aren't. And there was one who, a guy who came out and said that Christians need to unhitch themselves from the Old Testament. 
He said, you know, it's not helpful anymore. Jesus didn't go to the Old Testament when he addressed issues of morality, and we shouldn't either. Of course, that got a lot of backlash, but he didn't stop there. Recently, he has said that we need to unhitch ourselves, basically, from the whole Bible. (laughs) And that's where it leads. Now, he didn't say that. He didn't say those words. He did say unhitch from the Old Testament. He didn't say unhitch from the whole Bible. He didn't say that, but he did say that the Bible is not a sufficient starting place for faith in a modern world. And he said that without blushing, and he said that to a large group of people that many of whom, I'm sure not everyone, but many of whom just nodded their heads and went along. Now, many Christians wouldn't say that out loud, but actually agree with that. But if there's anything that should describe Christians in any age, it is that we are people devoted to the Word of God. Devoted. Continually devoted to the Word of God, which means we are people devoted to the truth. The Protestant Reformation was a time in which the truth of God, the truth of God's Word was unleashed on Europe and transformed the entire continent, really transformed, much of Western civilization was transformed by the Protestant Reformation. And of course, that came because the Word of God was a shaping power in the lives of individuals and families and churches and cities and nations. And so we must be people of the truth, devoted, continually devoted to the truth. Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so especially in a post-truth age and post-truth society, we must stand on the solid foundation of God's word, which is truth. Francis Schaeffer used the, the phrase true truth. In other words, not your truth or my truth or any any one person's truth, but true truth, God's truth, truth that doesn't budge, truth that ultimately doesn't care about personal opinions and, quite frankly, doesn't care about feelings and emotions. Truth that doesn't flinch when the world tries to shame us because of what we believe. So we're read, Silas and I are reading through the Pilgrim's Progress, and we got to the part a couple of weeks ago where Faithful, one of the characters, is recounting his discussion with a guy named Shame. If you've ever read that book, do you remember that discussion? And Shame, Faithful and Christian, both say he has, he, he, he has this name. It's kind of an unfitting name because his name is Shame, not because he has lots of shame, but because he tries to heap shame on people who believe such outrageous things that the Bible teach, teaches. In order to stand firm in the truth, we need to be absolutely convinced of what our passage this morning teaches in 2 Timothy 3. To be continually devoted to the scriptures, we need to be unashamedly assured of what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write in this text. And so our text makes two astounding claims. And we need to take these to heart, okay? The first is that the scriptures are profitable for us in every way. In every way. And the second is that the scriptures fully equip us for all of life. So these are enormous claims, but that is what Paul, really, that's what the Holy Spirit claims here. 
to see how this can be, we need clarity first on the first part of verse 16, which says this. This is a little bit of a a review from two weeks ago, but it says, all scripture is breathed out by God. This phrase clearly lays out the essence of what the Bible is, the essence of what the scriptures are. The the word scripture here in in 2 Timothy 3.16 is a word that refers to what's written down. It's the Greek word graphe. Now, some translations say all scripture is inspired by God. I think New King James says that. I believe New American Standard does as well. And I don't think that's the best translation because the Greek word is theanoustos, which is like squishing two words together. One is theos, from which we get the word God, and the other is noustos, which is to breathe or to breathe out or breath. So you put those together, and it's talking about the breath or the blowing of God. All scripture is the breath of God. It's the outblowing or the breathing out of God. All scripture is God-breathed. In other words, what the Bible says ultimately is what God says. So when we argue with what the scriptures say, and we probably have all done that, ultimately we're arguing with God himself. The Bible is not made up of some fables and myths from which we get some insight from. It's also not the words of men, ultimately, that God then came along and breathed into. You notice that? Scripture is God-breathed or the breathing out of God. It's not God taking human words and then adding some inspiration to them or adding some power to them. And so if you're holding a Bible in your hands right now, if you are just, you know, even if it's on your phone, just, okay, what you hold in your hands is incalculably valuable. It is God-breathed. It is the words of the very living God. And as such, Scripture is authoritative and powerful and trustworthy and sufficient Again, because it's the very words of God. What scripture says, God says. And it's all scripture, right? Not just the New Testament, not just the New Testament and the Psalms, not just some of our favorite passages, not just the red letters. All scripture is breathed out by God. And if this is true, which of course it is, then it only makes sense that all scripture is profitable to us in every way and equips us for all of life. So, let's see how this works. First, let's look at how the Bible profits us. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture is Profitable. All scripture is useful. All of it's helpful. All of it is advantageous for us. Far from being irrelevant, the scriptures are all relevant for us. In every age, the scriptures are relevant because they profit us in every way. And what we need to do is we need to humble ourselves and we need to ask God to help us to see and feel. What a prize we have in the word of God because it profits us so much. Thomas Watson, I don't know if he wrote this, but it was in 
one of his books, and it was in quotes, so I'm thinking he's quoting somebody else. He said this, the scriptures are the golden epistle sent to us from God. Epistle's a letter. It's a golden letter sent to us from God. And we would do well to pay attention so that we get the full profit out of the scriptures. A man who starts a company has every intention and every desire, and it's good to make a profit from his company, right? A farmer who plants a field has every intention, every desire to reap a harvest from that field. We, too, should have every desire to accumulate benefit, profit, and get a harvest from the Scriptures. The promise here is that the Scriptures do indeed profit us in every way. And so Paul gives us four ways in which the Scriptures profit us. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. These four ways the Scriptures really do profit us But actually, these four ways we could put into two groups. The first two in one group and the second two in another group. Teaching and reproof, I think, go together. And correction and training in righteousness, I also think, go together. Teaching and reproof deal with what we're to believe. Doctrine, you might say, or creeds. The word creed just means belief. And correction and training in righteousness have to do with behavior or conduct or how we're called to live. And I think this really does cover it all. Scripture profits us in our belief and in our behavior. Amen? Scripture profits us in our creed, what we're to believe, or how, what we're to hold on to, the faith and conduct. It helps us in our doctrine and duty. So let's look at teaching and reproof first. Scripture profits us by shaping our doctrine, what we believe. And this is so important. Doctrine is a good word. It's not a bad word. Some people have said doctrine divides, and in one sense it does, right? Right? Doctrine says this is true and this is not. Doctrine in in and of itself is a good thing. It's good for us to learn and grow what in the teaching of what Scripture says. So all Scripture is profitable for teaching and for reproof. Teaching refers to positive doctrine, positive truth about who God is and about what salvation is and about who we are and about our need and so forth. The Bible teaches us what is true. And so one way to to approach the Bible for maximum profit is to approach it humbly with the attitude that says, this is the standard of what's true, not what's in my brain. Right? This is the standard of what's true, not what is in my head. It's standard fare these days to rely upon our brains or emotions or feelings to tell us what is true more than the word of God. Listen to a few more items. Remember I mentioned that, st- that study that Ligonier Ministries put, uh, put together. Listen to a few more items from that study. Listen to this. 43% of American evangelicals think Jesus was a good teacher, but not God. 43 
56% of American evangelicals believe God accepts worship from all religions, including Christianity and Judaism and Islam. 56% of people that go to church. 65% of American evangelicals believe everyone is born innocent in God's eyes. 65%. That's stunning. 26% of of American evangelicals think the Bible is not literally true. Fables, myths, we can gain some good things from it, but it's not literally true. This is where things are at in the church. People that go to church, American Christians. Too many people have been discipled by the likes of that pastor who thinks we need to unhitch from the Bible. Brothers and sisters, this is why the entirety of Scripture must be studied so that over time we develop a whole biblical worldview. A.W. Tozier said the whole Bible makes a whole Christian, and that's what we're after. We want to be whole Christians, right? If someone camps only in the Psalms, that person will eventually become imbalanced. If somebody camps only in the Gospels or Romans or the Prophets, that person will eventually become imbalanced and not get the full profit of what the Scriptures give us. Now, of course, I understand why people are drawn to certain books or certain portions of the Bible. I am as well. You've heard me say, if you've been here for any length of time, well, maybe some of you have anyways, that Romans 8 is the best chapter in the Bible. (laughs) And I really think it is. But we need all the scriptures. We need all the Bible to teach us all the divine truth that God wants us to know. From Genesis to Revelation. Think about it. The law teaches us the nature and character of God. What pleases him. What displeases him. The law teaches us God's standard of right and wrong, of good and evil. And have you ever noticed that those things are all up for grabs in our day? The narrative passages, like the historical accounts, teach us God's ways with his people in blessing them and in disciplining them. The faithfulness of God in keeping his promise to Abraham and to David and to other saints, and we can trust that he'll keep his promises to us. The poetry sections show us the heart of God for his people and truly give voice to us to speak back to God. I think of the Psalms, which are 150 inspired songs that we can sing to God. Isn't that amazing? The prophets give us a sense both of the goodness and severity of God as he pronounces judgment on idolaters and also promises restoration his covenant people we need all the scriptures we need all of this this is how God reveals himself to us and his ways the gospels and the book of acts show us what Jesus Christ the God man did and taught when he was on the earth and what he continued to do and teach through his apostles in the early church the new testament epistles teach us the meaning of what Christ accomplished in his death and resurrection and ascension and what he promises to do in his second coming. Now, 
The epistles also teach us the letters of the New Testament, what God expects from his covenant people and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. Revelation teaches us about the final victory of Jesus Christ over evil and death. We need all that scripture teaches us. We need every last bit of it. Ultimately, all of scripture points us to Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, all of it does. Jesus said as much in Luke 24. He's with his disciples, and it says he opened the scriptures and showed all the places that it spoke of him in the law and the prophets and the Psalms. The point is, all of scripture profits us. It profits us in every way. And so without a growing knowledge of the Bible, we are in darkness We're in the darkness of ignorance and of error. This kind of ignorance is never, ever bliss. You ever heard that phrase, ignorance is bliss? Not ignorance of divine truth. Thomas Watson, a a Puritan from the 1600s, had this pithy and pointed statement. He said, ignorance of Scripture is the mother of error, not of devotion. Which, of course, leads to reproof. Not only do we need the teaching that comes from Scripture, we also need the reproof that comes from the Bible. The word reproof carries with it the idea of conviction, referring to conviction of error through proof of the truth. You ever read the Bible and just have it kind of knock you upside the head and say, oh my goodness, I've been believing nonsense. Has that ever happened to you? Never? Or, man, I needed this to correct my thinking. Has that ever happened to you? If it hasn't, maybe you're the, maybe you're the only perfect person in the world. I want to talk to you after church. <laughs> no, I mean, that happens to us, and it ought to happen to us. It ought to often. I think of a friend who several years ago was getting exposed to some new teaching, and a lot of it was really good. He was getting exposed to this this glorious truth of the jet-fueled power of God's grace that's totally undeserved for sinners like you and I. And some of it was really, really good, but he didn't have an ear for any of the reproof that the scripture brought to bring balance. And before long, he had crossed the Rubicon and wandered out into serious error. We profit from the scriptures that reprove us as well, and we need it. We need it. The scriptures are, so the scriptures are profitable for teaching positive truth and reproving sin and errant beliefs, and we need both. But the scripture also is profitable for correction and for training in righteousness. And this has to do with our conduct, with our behavior, with our duty, with how we are to live. We are wrong to assume that the Bible's meant only to fill our brains with beliefs. No, it also fits our hands and our feet and our lips and every part of our body to live out the things that we believe. What we believe should come out of our fingertips and our toes. I think I shared that with Maybe a, maybe a group of kids. It might have been the youth group Wednesday night. I don't know. And they all kind of looked at me like, huh? Well, some of them did. 
What I mean is, it, what we believe should come out in how we live and do everything in life. What we put our hands to, what we're walking after, what we're listening to, what we're watching, what we're looking at, what we're speaking, all of it. Of course, we, all, we are all imperfect and consistent in this, which is why we need correction and training in righteousness. The word here, correction, means to straighten which I think refers to the word of God straightens us out. Does that happen to you? Does the word of God straighten you out? Does the spirit grab you by the scruff of the neck sometimes and straighten you out through the Bible? Again, that should happen. Here, see, here's what happens. <coughs> is even, and I'll just use myself as an example, even someone who ostensibly, I would say I'm committed to the Bible, I'm devoted to it, but I come with my presuppositions and I never let them be challenged by the Bible. And so I read through things that should be correcting me and I just breeze over them. The Bible should be straightening us out more and more as we walk with Christ. As we're exposing ourselves to the scriptures, whether it's through preaching or reading or Bible study with others, there should be times when it's like, oh my goodness, I need to get back on track in this area of life. If that never happens to you again, there's only two options. Either you're a perfect person, which of course you're not, or you're not allowing the Bible to profit you as it should we should often be straight, being straightened out. We should often be straightened out by the scriptures as God addresses us. And finally, the Bible profits us for correction and for training in righteousness. It straightens us out and it shows us how to live right. It trains us, it disciples us in a righteous life. To live righteously fitting that this is the last sentence or the last phrase in a series of ways the Bible profits us because I think it really all does come down to this. The Christian life ultimately is meant to be one of us becoming more and more like Christ. More and more holy. Again, in the Pilgrim's Progress, I, do I share this a lot in my messages, Pilgrim's Progress? Probably. Okay. I think with the youth group kids, I, I, about every time I share something from Pilgrim's Progress, I say, hey, raise your hand if you read the book, and I should probably stop doing that. But this last Wednesday, I said, I'm going to do that until every hand's raised. <laughs> it's a good book. But there's this, uh, there's this man that faithful runs into named talkative talkative could talk the christian faith like nobody's business he knew about the new birth and original sin and he could talk about it all he was very conversant conversant in all the important truly 
good truths. And Christian said, faithful, he's a fraud. And Christian said, the, he, he, he used this phrase that I thought was so good, the soul of religion is the practical part. The soul of, the, of religion is the practical part. In other words, the soul of religion is obedience. It's obedience. It's righteous living. That's the soul of religion. The scriptures train us in righteous living, not just in hearing, but in doing and putting it into practice, being trained, fully discipled in righteousness. And this means that the word of God sets us into motion. It gets us off our rear ends after we've been reading the scriptures and sets us into action to put into practice the things that we're learning. The truth that goes into us and we believe by faith is to be worked out in obedience, in action. James addressed this in a passage that no doubt many of us are well familiar with. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and then goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. What a picture. You get up in the morning, you look in the, now women care about this more than men, but you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror, your hair's all disheveled, right? You got sleepers in your eyes. You got to shave, you got to get cleaned up for the day. You look in the mirror, you see the problem, right? You see, oh my goodness, and then you walk away and forget. The word of God is meant to be a mirror to correct us and to train us in righteousness. Without the practical part of obedience, doing what the word says, James says we are deceived. We're deceived. And this is how it works. We go to the scriptures, we read our two chapters for the day, or six chapters for the day, or ten, whatever, we read the, the scriptures and we subconsciously think, I got it. Even if we don't live it out. It's deception. Jesus said the wise man is not the one who hears his words, but the one who hears and does them. He's the one who builds his house on the rock and the winds come and the, the flood washes up against the foundation of the house and yet it stands strong because it was founded on the rock. Jesus said in, in Luke eleven twenty eight, blessed or happy are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So it's not only that we ought to do this, not only that we ought to be trained by the word of God in righteous living, but this is actually the path of a happy blessed life. 
course, it doesn't always come easy. It doesn't come easy ever, probably. Sometimes the way of profit requires us to do something hard, something difficult, something that will cost us, something that our flesh doesn't want to do. Some marriages are always struggling because the righteous path hasn't been tried and found wanting, but because it's been untried. In fact, I think someone said that. The Christian life has not been tried and found wanting, but it's been found hard and left untried. Who said that? Someone know? Anyone know? Chesterton? Okay. I was going to say that, but I didn't know for sure. Okay. The Christian life has not been found It's not been tried and found wanting, but it's been found hard and left untried. The training program in righteousness is profitable, but sometimes difficult. So the scriptures profit us in every way, in belief and behavior, in doctrine and duty. And not only that, but the scriptures equip us for all of life. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good word now the two words complete and equipped are mean almost the same thing which is why some translations say something like that the man of God may be fully furnished or that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped I think that's the idea here I think that the point is that the scriptures make us super equipped for all of life The promise is that they profit us and the purpose of the profit that we gain from the scriptures is to super equip us for all of life, for every good work. And this only makes sense. When you receive solid, healthy doctrine, both positive as well as the reproving correctives, here's what happens. You begin to think God's thoughts after him. You begin to think God's thoughts Loving what he loves, hating what he hates. And when the word of God is straightening you out and training you how to live right and pleasing in God's sight, guess what? The spirit-inspired word does the work of shaping us as disciples into conformity with our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we're after ultimately, is to become more and more like the one who purchased us with his blood. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I do praise you and thank you for your word this morning.